0: Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful for the chance to be with you today. Today, I'm going to walk you back in. Today's the day. Today's the day I blow you away with a story you've never heard before. And here it is. I'm going to borrow heavily from ldsmag.com, as well as online signaturebookslibrary.org. It is... Joseph Smith, The Making of a Prophet by Dan Vogel, specifically out of chapter 4, titled Slippery Treasures. I will link both the LDS Mag article written by Christopher Kirkland on April 12, 2018, as well as this chapter 4 in the episode notes. Please check those out. And now, onto what you've been waiting to hear. 1822. Joseph Smith and Willard Chase are both deeply into folk magic. How do we know this? Well, one, Joseph Smith's family is deeply entrenched in this practice. Peter Ingersoll, who met with the Smiths in 1822 and whose land bordered theirs on the north, received instructions from Joseph Smith Sr. on one occasion regarding the use of a forked mineral rod. At Smith's request, Ingersoll followed him back to the spot near the Smith's cabin where money was thought to be buried. Taking his pocket knife, Joseph Sr. cut a forked branch off a nearby witch hazel bush and placed it into Ingersoll's hands. After instructing him on how to hold it, grasping the ends of each fork and pulling them slightly apart to create a state of unbalance in the tip, Smith went off some rods and told me to say to the rod, "'Work to the money, work to the money,' which I did in an audible voice. He rebuked me severely for speaking it loud and said it must be spoken in a whisper. "'Work to the money, work to the money.'" As the experiment continued, Ingersoll remembered that the old man began throwing himself into various shapes, In encouraging the rod, if he had hoped to convince his neighbor, Joseph failed to do so. Ingersoll soon discontinued the experiment and declared that the rod did not work. Joseph seemed much surprised at this. Ingersoll recalled, and he said he thought he saw it move in my hand. Moments later, Ingersoll was surprised when Joseph Smith Sr. declared that a stone that Ingersoll had picked up to throw at birds was in fact a seer stone taking the stone from him smith said if you only knew the value there is back at my house and pointing to a place near there exclaimed he is one chest of gold and another of silver as will be seen the treasure behind the smith's house was probably located on the small narrow hill that ran along the eastern border of their property Ingersoll said that Smith put the stone which I had given him into his hat. Stooping forward, he bowed and made sundry maneuvers, quite similar to those of a stool pigeon. At length, he took down his hat and, being very much exhausted, said in a faint voice, If you knew what I had seen, you would believe. Alvin joined his father in the same performance which Ingersoll regarded as equally disgusting. So we know the family is heavily involved in folk magic, treasure digging. But we also know that Joseph Smith is a seriously active treasure digger himself. Dan Vogel wrote a piece that has to do with 17 treasure digs in the Palmyra area, most of which Joseph Smith was directly involved either in the digging or primarily in he being the one appointed to put a stone in the hat and to declare where the treasure was. We also know of Willard Chase. Again, Joseph Smith, Willard Chase, 1822, both are deeply involved in treasure magic. We know that Willard Chase is because, number one, he's a close friend of Joseph Smith and was involved with much of Joseph's treasure digging activities, and because his sister, Sally Chase, it is through her green seer stone that Joseph looks through and discovers the location of his first seer stone. So he uses Sally's green seer stone to locate his own white, translucent rock that was found, that he claims, buried under a tree. And he uses that seer stone on many treasure digs and his early scrying. Willard Chase tells us he was engaged in digging a well and that he had employed Joseph and his older brother, Alvin. This is in 1822. This is the main story I want to talk about. And we're going to go off into the weeds several times. But in 1822, Willard Chase hires Joseph Smith, the prophet, before he's the prophet, but after the first vision. And he hires his older brother, Alvin Smith, who doesn't know it yet, but a year from now is going to be dead. He hires the two of them and they are engaged in digging a well, believed to be on the Chase property. What is the most likely reason for employing Joseph and Alvin? In the 1820s, you simply do not dig a hole hoping to find water. You needed to be sure of its location first before digging void of the technology of sonar and satellite images all the things we have access to in modern day 2018 what they had access to was limited and it entailed the following list number one you dig by guessing and one had heard many failed stories of how that worked out number two you hire a water witcher that's it those are your options You either guess or you hire a professional magic water finder. Which do you choose? Especially in light that your best friends, Joseph and Alvin Smith, just happen to be trained and certified as water witchers. You hire your friends, of course. This isn't Joseph and Alvin's first time working the Chase land. And this isn't the first time for either of them for their involvement in water witching or treasure digging. The Chase family property bordered the Smiths' land on the east, and the two families sometimes searched for treasure together. Chase told Lorenzo Saunders about one occasion when he and Alvin Smith were digging together and found an old iron chest that vanished after Willard broke his shovel on it. Another time, Alvin and Willard dug on the property occupied by the Saunders family and owned by Palmyra Justice of the Peace, Abner Cole otherwise known as Obadiah Dogberry. Alvin and Willard worked under the direction of a man named Walters, later identified as Lumen Walters, a traveling necromancer who offered his services for a fee. Saunders said, At the time the big hole was dug in the hill, they was duped by one Walters who pretended to be a conjurer. I heard Willard Chase say that he was duped. They could not be deceived in it after he had gone through with a certain movements and charged them $7. Cole, who evidently took an interest in the activities that occurred on his property, said that the Manchester treasure seekers paid Walters $3 per day. Walters was more sophisticated and mature than Sally Chase. Sally indicated where treasure was located, but was powerless in the face of the treasure guardians. Walters, on the other hand, claimed to possess secret knowledge by which spells could be broken and guardian spirits vanquished. He appeared in Manchester with all the trappings of a medieval magician. A magic stone, a stuffed toad, a rusty sword used for drawing magic circles on the ground, esoteric books written in Latin, from which he read various incantations and a flair for the dramatic. Cole reported in 1831 that Walters assembled his nightly band of money diggers in the town of Manchester at a point designated in his magical book and drawing a circle around the laborers with the point of an old rusty sword and using sundry other incantations for the purpose of propitating the spirit absolutely sacrificed a foul... "'in the presence of his awe-stricken companions "'to the foul spirit whom ignorance had created, "'the guardian of hidden wealth. "'And after digging until daylight, "'his deluded employers retired to their several habitations, "'fatigued and disappointed. "'When no treasure was recovered "'and local inhabitants began to suspect Walters of fraud, "'the magician retreated to the mountains near Sotus Bay,' a wilderness region in northern Wayne County on Lake Ontario. The magician had more to fear than dissatisfied clients because a New York law criminalized all jugglers and all persons pretending to have skill in physiognomy palmistry, or light crafty science, or pretending to tell fortunes or discover where lost goods may be found. Usually authorities took no action against this type of disorderly person unless someone made a formal complaint and money had changed hands. Eventually the law caught up with Walters, for Cole reported in 1831 that he was once committed to the jail of Wayne County for juggling. Not long after Walters left Manchester, Joseph Smith Jr. began to fill the void left by his departure. Perhaps at the urging of Alvin or his father, impressed with Walter's theatrical style, Joseph successfully imitated some of the older magician's flair. And Cole opined that the mantle of Walter's had fallen upon the young man. First of all, Joseph had to establish himself as a credible seer and cultivate a reputation of his own. Reputation was everything to a would-be seer, and Joseph was adept and resourceful in this endeavor. In procuring a seer stone, he was not satisfied to simply pick up any stone at random, as his father had with Ingersoll. His stone would need to have special significance in order to create credibility. While visiting the Chase family one day, Joseph asked Sally if he could look into her stone. This was not an unusual request, for many people had tried to peep with her exotic stone. Recalling a past friendship with Sally S.F. Andrick said in 1887 that, quote, Sally let me have her stone several times, but I never could see anything in or through it. On that day, Sally handed Smith her green stone. A competitor was born, for Joseph exclaimed, he too could see in the stone. It was not a treasure or a lost article that he saw, but something more valuable, another seer stone. He could see that the stone was located in a remote section of western New York, near Lake Erie, under the roots of a tree or shrub as large as his arm. He said that the stone became luminous and dazzled his eyes, and after a short time, it became as intense as the midday sun. He left Manchester and returned a few days later with a small white stone which he claimed had power to dissolve both time and distance. It was like having an all-seeing eye, he told listeners in South Bainbridge, New York. So now, back to the moment we're speaking of, 1822, Willard Chase is digging a well with Joseph Smith and Alvin hired to help him find the water. Did Joseph scry the location of the water? Did he do it with his divining rod, or did Alvin do it? Did he use a seer stone? We don't know which of them did the dowsing. But one of them likely grabbed a Y-shaped stick most assuredly made of witch hazel, willow, or a peach tree. And I don't even know if willow trees grow in New York. You tell me. And then grabbing each side of the Y-shaped stick loosely, yet with enough firmness to hold the stick from moving, from gravity and the likes, walked around the chase farm until, until the stick moved. And when that stick moved, and it absolutely moved, one thing was understood. There was water and plenty of it below that spot. So with Willard digging the hole and Joseph and Alvin standing up top, suddenly Willard sees something down in the hole. A rock, but not like any other rock he had seen before. This time in our country was a different time. Most people worked the land, and in working the land like any trade, you become aware of the idiosyncrasies of your job. You know from all the time spent in your trade what is normal and what is an anomaly. While these three were young, they were not young in experience. These boys had worked the land from the moment they could hold a shovel, and they knew what was common and what was not. Willard, being in the depths of the hole, sees it first. It's a round rock, which on its own makes it stand out. Round rocks are found by the river and the creeks as they get polished by the course of the water over thousands of years. But round rocks in the ground? Such things are rare. But more than that, This one has unique streaks and colors never seen before in the other rocks that they have come across. This one primarily brown with black and bronze streaks running as swirls throughout the stone. Willard tosses it up to Joseph and Alvin and they too saw immediately its uniqueness. This rock This rock of curious workmanship was about to be used in the practice of folk magic. But more than that, it is about to be used as the primary instrument in the translation of a sacred text that binds millions of people together in a religious tribe. This rock has a story. This rock is known as a Genesis stone. It's called banded iron jasper, All by itself, that name tells me this is something cool, but there is way more to this story. It turns out that banded iron jasper is a secondary or trace fossil, meaning rocks that are evidence of life but don't contain any primary evidence such as bones. They are evidence of one of the very first forms of life on Earth, photosynthetic cyanobacteria also known as blue-green algae. About two and a half billion years ago, the Earth's atmosphere was inhospitable to almost all forms of life now in existence. As algae started to create oxygen in the Earth's atmosphere, it reacted with plentiful iron in the Earth's acidic ocean. These iron deposits then oxidized. In layman's terms, the oceans rusted, As the iron deposits became oxidized, they fell out of dilution with seawater and accumulated as sediment on the ocean floors. This process seemed to occur in waves, hence causing the formation of sedimentary rock known as banded iron jasper. The ribbons you see in the seer stone are those of iron layers on top of more common shale, The Genesis name comes from the implications that the stone attest in regards to the second day of creation. When this process of the Earth's atmosphere becoming more oxidized began, there was still one massive Pangea or supercontinent. Most continents just have one banded iron jasper deposit, all stemming from one original deposit. In North America, that area is a rough oval spanning parts of Wyoming and Minnesota. It doesn't come anywhere near upstate New York, where Joseph originally found the seer stone 15 feet down in a well that Willard Chase was digging, where he had his dousing instrument notify him that something was there. So now we know what the rock is, but we are still left with the curiosity of how it became rounded and why it's 15 feet deep on the Willard Chase property. Judging by the egg-like shape, and you have to understand, you can go look up lots of banded iron jasper. This piece is unique because it is round. It is smooth. That isn't the case, With every other piece of iron banded jasper in existence. Judging by the egg like shape, as well as the way it appeared to be polished and its distant location from the deposit area, geologists believe it to be a gastrolith, also known as a gizzard stone. Banded iron jasper is rare enough on its own, but a gizzard stone is one that a dinosaur inadvertently digests and then when it dies, it decays. The stone returns to the environment. The time spent inside the dinosaur would actually aid in digestion as well as polish the stone's edges in a manner slightly different than it would if it were smoothed out in a stream or on the beach. Dinosaur gizzard stones are also rare. So the type of rock is rare on its own iron banded jasper it's only found in a few places it's also extremely rare to find iron banded jasper away from the places where it exists and for it to also be a gizzard stone is also extremely rare the fact that this rock served as a digestive tool inside some triceratops And that that triceratops picked up this rock and swallows it in the Wyoming, Minnesota area and then traversed in his own sort of pioneer trek to upstate New York and then died. And then this rock, which is now rounded and polished, became one with the earth again, only to be dug up by Willard Chase, 15 feet down in a hole, the very spot that the prophet Joseph Smith and his brother, a million years later, were there water witching. But that is not the whole story. Genesis stone or banded iron jasper has for ages been known within the mystical community as a stone that has access to mystical powers. It is known for having grounding energy, opens closed chakras and meridians, releases and clears walks in spirits, clears negative thought forms in, auric, in the auric field, and greatly increases channeling energy. One website stated, quote, This is a stone for grounding and centering the energies of the root or base chakra, for self-control, grounding, resilience, quiet power, Banded Jasper is considered a res- as receiving stone and is used for calming, soothing, inward meditation and reflection. When used for chakra healing and balancing, Banded Jasper represents the element earth and is therefore related to our survival instincts and to our sense of grounding and connection to our bodies in the physical plane. Ideally, when using these stones at the root chakra, they bring us health prosperity, security, and dynamic presence. A couple other really cool things. One, let's go back to Sally Chase and her green seer stone. Do you know what her stone most likely was? It was likely jade. But more than that, it was likely a specific kind of jade known as nephrite. n E P H R I T E. One letter removed from the word Nephite is the type of stone that Sally Chase has. Nephrite. That's an interesting side tangent on its own. Another side tangent. The very rock that Joseph Smith finds to use in the translation of the Book of Mormon all by itself dispels the young earth creationism of Joseph Fielding Smith and Bruce R. McConkie. That stone alone and the geology involved in it and the understanding of where that rock came from and how it came to be shows this earth to be billions of years old. And now with those two little facts out of the way, Back to the oval, egg-shaped stone of iron-banded jasper. As far as it is known, this is the only banded iron jasper gizzard stone in existence. It just happens to have mystical properties. It just happens to find its way from some other geographic location. And just so happens to be at the very spot where Willard Chase and Alvin Smith and the prophet Joseph Smith are digging. All that together, the argument could be made that this is the rarest rock on the planet Earth and the very rock used by Joseph Smith to translate a sacred text known to us as the Book of Mormon. Now you know the rest of the story.